I'm Alan, I'm the pastor, and we are in the middle of a series called Better. And where we're trying to go with that is this idea that if we drift in faith, our anchor, our rudder, our direction are lost. Now, I, I, I have a sort of a disclaimer this morning because I thought a lot about this. <clears throat> the whole idea of better in some ways sounds a little arrogant, especially as it might be received in, in our culture today, that to say that what I think, what I believe is better If you heard it wrong, you would think that I would be judging what you believe. Now, I don't know what you believe. I don't know what's going on in your life, your way. I don't know why you are in this place today, why you might be watching us online. But but hear me out. The idea behind this whole series is the idea that what I have discovered as a follower of Christ and what many of you have discovered as followers of Christ has worked out better for us. And while I want you to be a follower of Christ, I, I want you to, to open up your mind and your heart and your, your receptivity to this, this wonderful message that we call the gospel I want all that. It is. It, it, I, I would not want you to think that I'm trying to beat you up or, 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 or just beg you until you make a decision under duress. I believe that our God is big enough to draw you to Him. I believe that, our, that this message that we're talking about, when the writer of Hebrews says it's better that Christ is superior to other ways of thinking, that Christ is superior to other ways of trying to approach God. He is, if I need to just refresh this a little bit, he's trying to speak into the lives of Christians who are really discouraged. He's trying to speak into the lives of people who have tried Christianity, and, and they, it didn't work out for them. I don't know if they're persecuted. I, I don't know why he's giving them these words of encouragement. Maybe they're just discouraged. Maybe they thought that to become a Christian would mean that I get prosperity or I get power or fame or straight teeth or hair that doesn't turn gray or turn loose. Maybe I, I would expect a, a quid pro quo from my faith. And, and the writer of Hebrews is trying to say, that's not what this is about. What this is about is a whole new way of thinking. So the first chapter of Hebrews that we looked at last week, that was sort of about that. But, but, but if you're here today and you're just trying to figure out what this Christian life might be like, I want to invite you to draw close to this amazing God, this amazing plan that the writer of Hebrews talks about. And for those of us who have been walking for quite a while and maybe we've gotten bored, maybe we've gotten discouraged, He's saying, don't drift. 1990, George Barna and his group wrote a book called Frog in the Kettle. And of course, he was calling to our minds that famous and a little bit sad illustration of 
the fact that if you drop a frog into a pot of boiling water, he's going to do whatever he has to do to get out of that pot of water because it's hot. And he knows it's hot because the contrast to whatever he was doing to whatever that is, not pleasant. But if you put a frog in a kettle of cold water and gradually heat it up, he will not know that it's getting hot and he will boil to death. Sad. Now, I get the illustration. It would have been a lot more fun with an alligator because it's any cold-blooded animal would do. And to think of an alligator hopping out of a pot would be a lot more fun. (laughs) Who talks? Or a bulldog jumping out of a pot of boiling water. But he's warm-blooded, so that breaks down. The, the idea is that if, if something is gradual and something is, is not uh, a, a shock to the system, sometimes we don't even know what's going on. And, and that's the point of the illustration is that he pointed out and, and something that was sort of verified. Newsweek did an article 20 years after this that sort of said the same thing, that, that, that if we keep going like we're going by the year 2070, maybe 30% of the people in the United States would even claim Christianity. Because we're, we're drifting as a culture, we're, we're drifting away from, from what some would say are core principles of Christianity. And, and, and I, 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 I'm not as alarmed with that as, as, as maybe some people are, because the problem is that we haven't pointed their attention to this great God who is worth following. So that's where I want to go today. And I want to talk about this idea of drift. D.A. Carson pointed out that people don't drift towards holiness. Have you ever thought about that? The word drift is hardly ever positive. They're just drifting towards beauty. They don't say that. They go, you kind of let yourself go there, Alan. <laughs> You're drifting towards being in shape if round is a shape. And, and and so we we drift towards something negative. We drift towards error. We drift towards uh, neglect. We we drift towards something else. And and so when the writer of Hebrews starts out chapter two and verse one, he says this: Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. And we've said before that whenever in Scripture we find the word therefore, we look to see what it's there for. And in this case, it's pointing back to the first chapter of Hebrews where the guy quotes all the Old Testament verses. And all the Old Testament verses that he quoted in the first chapter, he's saying, Jesus is better than the angels. Now, a little context here. The red letter was written to Jewish Christians people who had begun to follow Christ but had been Jewish in their former way of thinking. And the, the Jewish people for millennia have thought that angels delivered messages. So the, the angels would have told Moses what to say. The angels would have told Samuel what to say. The angels would have told the prophets what to say. And so, so there was this thought that the angels delivered messages to the earthly spokesmen then who could tell people what God was telling them. 
And so the writer of Hebrews here is sort of pulling from that belief. He says, you know, the, the angel's message was good. It, it was worthwhile. That's what last week was all about, that, 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 that at the end of the day, he's saying Jesus is better than the angels because of some things that he's going to point out to us in this chapter. But he's saying, pay attention. The angels were not wrong. They just stopped a little short. The angels were, were okay, so this message delivered by angels was reliable. And in the old way of thinking, every transgression, every little thing got punished. Right? In the Old Testament, that's sort of the way of thinking. You, if you act right, you're blessed. If you act wrong, you're cursed. If you do bad things, bad things will happen to you. That was sort of the whole way of thinking. And it was not until the New Testament when Jesus came to say, hey, that, that all let us understand the need for grace because we can't measure up. None of us can measure up. We, we have, as a pastoral staff, we're doing seven funerals in ten days. So, so the, the last week we did four, this coming week we've got two, maybe three, and, and so this, this, this grief that we're sort of in the middle of, families are in grief. They want to know why, they want to know what, they want to know uh, what happens. And in every case, the thing that we as pastors try to do is to speak hope into their lives that if this message of new life is what we say it is, then the life that those people lived, it doesn't end here, that it, it stretches on into eternity. And that's that nugget of hope that we all want to have because we fear death. We fear end of life. We get anxious. We get uh, uh, worried. And so the writer of Hebrews is trying to say the old way was full of consequences and judgment and payment, but the new way is different. That's, that's why I wrote this letter. I want to encourage you not to lose heart, not to be discouraged, because, because the new way is, is better. And so he begins with this, this wonderful proclamation that the angels weren't wrong, but they just sort of stopped short of the rest of the story. So the word that the writer here uses for drift, when I started digging into the, the meaning from the original language, it literally means a ship that has lost power and lost rudder. So in the, in the ancient times, it would have been a ship that was blown off course, that, that maybe the, the sails were uh, ineffective because the wind was blowing in the wrong direction, and the, the rudder was ineffective because the waves were so high. But, but in 1996 in New Orleans, we got a, a, a pretty big illustration of this. There was a, a ship called the Bright Star. It was a tanker. And uh, upriver from New Orleans, the, the current is, of course, towards the Gulf of Mexico, and upriver from New Orleans, the Bright Star lost power and rudder. And it's a wonder that it made it under the, the bridge. At the time, there was only one Mississippi River bridge open. Now there are twin bridges side by side. But it's a wonder it made it under that 
But shortly after it went under the bridge, it began to drift radically because of the current, and it ended up crashing into the Riverwalk Mall, uh, uh, injuring about 160 people and doing tens of millions of dollars worth of damage. And when they finished, when the Coast Guard finished the incident report on that, they traced the culprit of losing power and losing rudder back to a faulty oil filter. They neglected to take care of the oil filter. And to compound it, they neglected to heed the warnings that the oil filter was going bad. The, the, the chain of command never passed the warnings all the way up to the master of the ship. Now, that's a sermon series in itself. But the master of the ship didn't even know there was a problem. And because of neglect of one seemingly insignificant part, they lost power, they lost rudder, and they drifted, and drift is damage. Warren Wiersbe said more spiritual problems are caused by neglect than failure. And, and, and again, he's not wrong. The, the, he, the, the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, how do we escape? We're, if we're drifting, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Now, that word neglect is interesting, isn't it? Neglect an oil filter and bad things may eventually happen. But the word neglect, it's sort of like drift. It, it hardly ever has a good connotation. I, I, I've neglected foods that are bad from, for me, so I'm feeling better. Nobody says that. Neglect always has to do with not paying attention to something. And let's be really honest. Whenever we neglect something, it reflects how much we valued what it was that we neglected. If you are a garden person and your garden has weeds and, and animals have gotten in and, and the soil isn't being tended and the plants aren't being watered, really at the end of the day, you don't value your garden all that much. If you have a, a vehicle that was originally worth uh, several thousand dollars and, and you don't ever maintain the engine and you don't ever clean it and you don't ever pay attention to the air in the tires and you don't ever and you don't ever and you don't ever. At the end of the day, you just hope it lasts long enough for you to afford a new one. There, there's not a, a great deal of value that you've placed on that. The, the same would be said of so many things, relationships that we're in. If we, if we neglect those relationships, it sort of says we don't value that that much. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is doing. How, how can we neglect something that is so valuable? If God has made a way for us not to have to sacrifice an animal every day to, to be in fellowship with Him, if God has made a way for us not to have to follow a bunch of rules and be in constant fear that if we violate one of those rules, He's going to zap us with lightning or we're going to break out in acne or our car's going to break down... If we have this gift that is so great, how in the world would we neglect it? And so we have a, a great 
salvation, a, a, a great Savior, a, a great gift at great cost. And He has made a way for us to be in peace with God. And the writer of Hebrews is going, let me just remind you of what it is that you're sort of whining about. How in the world can you drift? How in the world can you neglect? How in the world can you disrespect or disregard such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord. Angels talked about it. Now it was attested by those who heard. Of course, he's talking about the apostles. And so the, the, the writer is kind of carrying us along. He's saying, don't drift, don't neglect, but, but don't, don't, don't hear that as fear. If you don't, if you drift, I'm going to zap you. If you neglect, I'm going to zap you. He, he's, he's sort of saying to an audience, how in the world can you not value something that is so priceless? And then he turns an interesting direction. Verse 4. We're in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4. And so he comes off of verse 3 where he says, It was declared by the Lord. It was attested by those who heard. In other words, people have been talking about it. The angels talked about it. Jesus talked about it. The disciples talked about it. Writers have talked about it. Now we're talking about it. And then he says in verse 4, But God bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. What a fascinating thought. Joe Folk, who's the pastor of the Calvary Chapel in Philadelphia, said, God's not going to use a compromised life to reach a compromised world. The, when, when we neglect and when we drift, it's, it, it, it would serve to reason that we're not really being very effective in, in demonstrating that we serve a God that's worth serving. Not beating you up about it, but to say, if you watch that, that I have a vibrant relationship with God, and I hope you do, I, I've been pretty honest about my struggles, but, 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 but by and large, I feel like that God loves me, that God walks with me, and that's what the Experiencing God groups are all about. We're, we're, we're seeing God working, and we want to join Him. And that's an attractive thing when we model it, when we don't drift, when we pay close attention, when we don't neglect. And, and so the, the, the transforming power is when the message is demonstrated. The writer of Hebrews said this way, God bore witness. The word uh, witness means testimony. It's, 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 it's some kind of either verbal or nonverbal uh, uh, demonstration that God is in your life. So God did it. But then he started doing an interesting thing after the disciples sort of faded from the scene. He started using just normal people, just people like you and me. And, and, and we begin to see miracles. And if we look around, we, we still see miracles. We, we, we see miracles in, in children. We see miracles in circumstances. We see miracles in things working out when they shouldn't have worked out. Every now and then we, we still see that kind of thing. Every now and then we, we still have a, a wonders and, and signs and, and things that point us in the right direction. 
But this last one is, is sort of the, uh, the, the norm in, 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 in our times is that he gives abilities to people so that they can encourage other people. He might, the, the, the gifts are listed in several places. In, in Galatians, it talks about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. In Romans and Timothy, there's, there are lists of, of gifts, of, of things that are, are given to us in order to do things, two things. One, to serve others, and two, to make the name of Jesus a little more famous. And so, if we are employing the gifts that we know that God has given us, the, the singers or the, uh, the teachers or people who have a gift of hospitality, our greeters, when they are employing gifts, hopefully they are helping others, encouraging, uh, uplifting the body of Christ, but they're also reflecting the, the, the hope that they have in them, the, the Jesus that they have begun to serve. And so the writer of Hebrews is tracking here. He's saying, listen, the angels talked about it. The prophets talked about it. God has borne witness in our times, miracles and signs and wonders. And now he, he sort of invests gifts in us. And then he starts talking about something that's near and dear to my heart. He said, for these four verses, and you're going, look at my watch, and he's only into four verses. The next several verses point to sort of one thing. In chapter 1 in Hebrews, he said, Jesus is better because he's more complete than the angels. The angels brought a message, but he was the message. And so he's, he, in his God form, his Godness, as John said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so in his Godness, Jesus is better. But now he switches gears and he says, but. All you humanoids are just a little bit hard-headed. And if, 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 if the answer is God, whoa, he's up there and he, he, he doesn't hurt and he doesn't cry and he doesn't have car accidents and the rent is never due and there's no anxiety, he would be a little bit unapproachable. And a whole lot of religious traditions, that's, that's sort of the thing. God is far away, and I'm doing whatever I can to please Him, and, and I hope I do enough to please Him, and one day cross over the finish line, and then I'll see God. The, the God that the writer of Hebrews is talking about presents Himself to us every day, and just to make sure that we hard-headed humans would understand, He said, I'm going to send your Savior in the form of one of you. I'm going to send him as a human. And for the next several verses, the writer of Hebrews here is talking about the humanity of Jesus. Not, not his, his godness, but his humanness. And so in verse 5, he says, It was not to angels that God subjected the world. It's been testified somewhere. And he quotes Psalm 8. He said, What is man? 
humans that you would think of him? What, what are we? Aren't we just like bugs? No. Well, the, when Jesus came in the form of a human, he sort of validated the role of humans as the very image bearers of God. He said, I want you to represent me, not the dogs, no offense, not the gators, not the frogs in the kettle, none of that. I want humans to represent me. They are made in my image. They are special. And at the fall with Adam and Eve, they they lost a little bit of the the shine. And in Jesus, I want to show you that a human is is valued, a human is, is important, And so he says, what is man that you're mindful of him? You made him for a little while lower than angels. You crowned him with glory and honor. You put everything under his feet. He restores the sense of dignity to humanity that we lost in the fall. And that quite frankly, we lose a little bit at a time when we do stuff that rebels against God. When we do stuff that's out of balance. When we do stuff that hurts other people. We lose a little bit about what humans are created to be. He goes on to say um, he put everything in subjective. Right now, verse 8, we don't see everything like that. but, But we also see that Jesus was made a little lower than the angels for a while. He became one of you. He tasted death just like humans do. And then in verse 10, For it was fitting that he, Jesus, for whom all things were made and all things exist, that he would bring many sons to glory. In other words, Jesus' humanity sort of draws people to himself. He's approachable. He's, he, he understands us. We understand him. When he cut, he, he bled. Shortest verse of the Bible Jesus wept, John eleven thirty five. 35. Why was he weeping? Because his friend died and he was overcome with grief. Even though he knew he was going to raise him from the dead, when Lazarus died, Jesus wept. That's what that verse is about. And so in his humanity, he has drawn people to himself. Well, okay, that Jesus is not looking to condemn me all the time. That Jesus, is, he, he was one of us. He understands my pain. And so he says, I, uh, that is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. Verse 11, verse 12, I will tell your name to my brothers. Jesus calls us his brothers. His humanity defeated the power of the devil. Look at verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has power over death. If there is supernatural good, there is supernatural evil. And the role that the devil or Satan or the evil one or the, uh, the guy who lives in the bad place, whatever you call him, he exists to disrupt the things of God. And one of the things he does to disrupt is he causes us to be fearful. And the ultimate fear is death. 
The ultimate fear that we will deal with that all week with these funerals. The ultimate fear is I don't know what happens. I don't know where he goes. I don't know the end of the story. I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, yes, you do. This Jesus in his humanity, you saw him live. You heard him teach. You saw him crucified. You saw him buried. You saw that on the third day he arose and that he defeated death, that thing that we fear most. And so he showed us that even the devil's worst fear had been conquered. He did that in his humanity. And then finally, in his humanity, He sympathizes with us. Verse 17. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation, Bible word, sacrifice. In other words, he died in our place. The the, the daily sacrifice of stuff didn't have to be done anymore because he sent Jesus to die in our place. So the writer of Hebrews is trying to say, listen, if you can't wrap your mind around the fact that he's God, wrap your mind around the fact that he's human, that he hurts like we do, and yet he didn't sin. He still went to the cross so that you and I could identify with him. There's a, an ad campaign that says he gets us. And that's sort of what he's saying here. He was one of us, so he understands our fear, our pain, our anxiety, our grief. Let's land the plane. Very last verse here, verse 18. He says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Discipleship is the opposite of drift. Okay, drift is when, you know, picture yourself in a, a rowboat somewhere or the, the, the lazy river at some resort, and you're just vegging in an inner tube or vegging in a rowboat, and wherever the current takes you, wherever the wind takes you, it requires absolutely no effort on your part. And a garden that's left to, to go, is, it requires no effort. It's, it's not what you do, it's what you don't do. And the writer of Hebrews started off this by saying, hey, let's take, pay close attention. Let's take heed. Let's don't drift. Let's don't neglect. And, and in that, he says, there are going to be some things that you do to put yourself in a place where there is a sense of peace, where there is a sense of, of apprehension about who Jesus is as a God and who Jesus is as a human and who Jesus is in our lives and how that's better. He says, God is, is not forcing us he, he, he's not trying to, 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 to grind us into loving Him. He is offering this incredible uh, plan, this incredible opportunity, this incredible thing called grace where we can bring all of our fears and failures to Him and He declares that they are forgiven and redeemed because He died in our place. 
We have over 400 of you who are in experiencing God groups, discipleship groups that are going on around the campus right now. And there's two themes that have kind of uh, broken into my email trails. One is, this is great. It's so intentional. You know what the other one is? This is a lot of work. <laughs> there's homework. There's, there's stuff I've got to think about. There's stuff I've got to process. There's, there's critical thought involved. Oh, no. And yes, discipleship is intentional. You know, you're, the, the whole metaphor is to follow Jesus. Well, if Jesus is going somewhere, I don't know if any of you have ever tried to caravan to a ball game or something, but if you're the last car, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to turn when they turn and to stop when they stop and to go when they go and to try to figure out what's going on. It's a lot of work, and discipleship is some work. It's intentional. It's, it's directive. But if we have discovered a God who loves us that much, a Jesus who sacrificed that much, a salvation that is that great. Like any earthly relationship that's worth pursuing, don't we want to give it a little bit of effort? Don't we want to think about our time, our talents, our resources, our priorities, our daily schedule, the things that we value, the things that we don't? Isn't it a thought that maybe that great message is actually worth it? And if it wasn't worth it, why do we bother? So I want to kind of throw out a challenge. We've started these discipleship groups, these experiencing God groups. That's not the panacea for everything. That's, that's one way to go about it. But will you let your discipleship be a little bit more intentional? If you're not really following Christ yet? Would you, would you give it a thought? Would you have a conversation with one of the greeters, one of the pastors, one of the people around you? Would you process the words that are being sung? Because it is directional. We, we choose something either by drift or by purpose. And it is always better with purpose. I'm going to have a word of prayer. Our band is going to come sing a song. We've got a little business to do as a church. I wrote you a letter about that on Friday. So if you uh, don't mind, sit tight for just a couple of minutes after the band is over. And I'll call Lonis uh, Barrett, our church moderator, up to lead us in that. And uh, um, just hang around. So pray with me. God, thanks for this incredible salvation, this incredible love relationship, that you are a God that is worth pursuing because you pursued us. Thanks for worship. Thanks for your word. Thanks for the ability to come and be around other people as we have this experience together. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.